Mr. Ross Growth Podcast, solo episode number nine. I am back and we are talking negotiation this time. And I came across the book written by Chris Voss. He's a former FBI negotiator and he wrote an amazing book called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depends on It. I read it, absolutely loved it, and wanted to share some of the insights that were really, really cool and impactful. And I would highly encourage you guys to check out the full book. I will link it in the show notes. But the reason I was so excited about it was because negotiation happens so often in our lives. Whenever we have a meeting, whenever we talk to our boss, whenever we are trying to get a raise, whenever we are trying to get a new job, whenever we are negotiating about getting a, buying a car, buying clothes, everything is a negotiation. And when we don't really know all this subtle psychological changes that people have and then how to react how to adapt what the work what flow to use we leave a lot of value on the table we are not really getting to the goals that we want to get to and that's really disappointing because why would you do that and then there will be a point when you're negotiating a salary or when you're negotiating a big deal and do you want to leave this 20 grand on the table do you want to leave this 50 grand on the table Uh, and sometimes that would happen so I think the value is insane and you will be using it for the rest of your life. And the way that I like to think about it in negotiation, negotiation is like sales. And anybody who was in sales or who is in sales will tell you that it is one of the most important skills ever. And it's one of the most transferable skills ever. And everybody has to do sales. It doesn't really matter if they like it or they don't. And because you're going to be talking to people all the time, and you are selling your ideas all the time. doesn't matter if you are just coding, if you are in operations, if you don't talk to people and you're working from your basement, it does not matter. You're going to still have to socialize with people. And whenever you do, you have to sell it. And it's the same thing as in negotiation. So let me share some of the cool things about this book. Um, and the three things I wanted to share would be the how to bend the reality of the other person that you're negotiating with or the other party, how, why say no is really key instead of saying yes, and then how to get your counterpart bid against themselves. So before we dive into it, I wanted to mention a few key things uh, about negotiating. negotiating and a good negotiator prepares to be ready for possible surprises, but a great one, they aim to use their skills to reveal the surprises they are absolutely certain to find. Whenever we are in negotiation, there will be always things that we didn't expect, but they happened. And they oftentimes, they completely change negotiation. So you really want to be, have that mindset of, oh, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to find something that I didn't find in my research, and it might even be a game changer. Great negotiators also don't really commit to assumptions. Instead, they view them as a hypothesis and then they use this negotiation to test them rigorously. Another one um, is people who view negotiation as a battle of arguments, they become overwhelmed by the voices in their head. And negotiation is really not the act of a battle. It's the process of a discovery. The goal is to uncover as much information as possible. And what happens is whenever we are talking with another person, it's not just two voices, it's oftentimes four voices talking at the same time, because whenever the other person is speaking, we are listening to our voice in our head and we're thinking, look, here's what I'm going to say next. 
And when the other person is done speaking, we start talking. So we never, we never truly listen to what others are there to say, and then we don't really build rapport. And the other person feels that the same, the same way, and then negotiations don't really go too far. We just arguing, and then it's argument, and then counter argument. So it's that you want to really focus on what the other person has to say, and completely shut off the other voice in your head initially at the start of a negotiation. And then once you do that, you want to speak slowly. You want to slow it down because, um, and especially it's relevant for people like me who are visual and like to talk fast. Whenever you go too fast, it will might feel like the other person might feel they are not being heard and you really undermine the rapport or the trust that you have built and you don't really want to be doing that. And then you want to be speaking with the right voice. There are three different ones. There is a late night FM DJ voice, which is really interesting. Essentially, it's you talk slowly and you clearly can convey one idea. And then you basically inflect your voice in a downward way. And then you put it out there. And then what it will do is will that will just show the other person or it will sound like you're in control. You got it covered. Then there will be a positive, playful voice, which you should be using most of the time, which I'm speaking um, this way right now. And you will have assertive or direct voice, which you should be using very rarely because it could be like a slap in, in your face whenever you're trying to make a progress. And then there will be two key things where, that are important in negotiation. They are called mirroring and labeling. So when you are talking to somebody and you want to be using mirrors, mirrors is whenever you are you you repeat the last three words the other person said, right? So you hear whatever they said, you repeat the last three words, and then you pause for three, four seconds. That pause will encourage the other person to keep talking. When they hear similar words, or they hear this, when they hear the same words you said, they will feel more rapport. They will feel like you understand them. They are you're like them, and they will be more encouraged to keep going. And when they keep talking, you're getting more information because remember, negotiation. What it really is, it's collecting as much information as possible. And then. When you have labeling, what labeling is, is basically based on tactical empathy. So what is tactical empathy? It's paying attention to another human being, asking what they're feeling, making a commitment to understanding their world. And you, and then you label those feelings, right? You want to see what they feel like, and then you want to like put it back to them. And you want to say, look, it looks like you don't want to go back to jail. And then when you say that, it makes them seem less frightening. Uh, or you can say, it seems like you are pretty upset today. And then you do it in a way that doesn't require you to ask personal questions. It doesn't require you to say things like, oh, how's your family? If you're not too familiar, you don't really know that person very well, you can't really ask this question. It would, it would come off really odd, but you can say, it seems like you're, you're, you're not doing well, or it seems like something's bothering you. And that way, you are acknowledging their emotions. You are making them seem like maybe it's not that bad. Or maybe you're just, you know, you're really detecting the other person's state. And then you're putting it back to them. And it's very effective in negotiation. So whenever you do that, you want to say the phrases like, which start with, it seems like, it sounds like, it looks like. 
not, I'm hearing that. Because when you say I, it basically, it means that you're focusing too much on yourself. You don't really be, you don't want to be doing that. And if you're wrong, you can always say, oh, I just said it seemed like I didn't really, I didn't really know. So you always have a way out. And then another part in negotiation is when people are pushing for, yes, you really want to break the habit of trying to get people to say yes, because when you push for yes, it makes people defensive. And our love of hearing yes makes us blind to the defensiveness. Uh, other, we ourselves feel when somebody's trying to say us, uh, somebody's trying to push us to say yes. And, you know, whenever you're trying to uh, know, like whenever you hear no, it's really not a failure. And it really often just means wait, or look, maybe I'm just not comfortable with that. Whenever somebody said no, you, you have to learn to, to hear it calmly. And it's really not the end of negotiation, it's the beginning. And I have to admit, whenever somebody says no, it's really difficult sometimes to say, well, uh, I guess that's it, I'm done. And it's re you're really not. And so it definitely does require practice and discipline and mindset to go around that because yes is the final goal in negotiation, but you don't really want to aim for it at the start. You want to be asking someone for yeah. If you're asking someone for yes too quickly, like you say, do you like drink water, Mr. Smith? <laughs> Smith? Yeah, their guard goes up and it paints you as an untrustworthy person or salesperson, depending on what you're doing. Whenever you, whenever somebody says no, you make them feel safe secure in control and you want to trigger that because by saying what they don't want um, the other person will define their space and their gain their confidence and comfort to listen to you and uh, that's that's why you know whenever uh, there's a sales call, phone call what chris voss recommends is to say it's now bedtime to talk and it's always better than saying do you have a few minutes to talk again more details in the book i'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I wanted to also mention about how do you bend other people's reality. Well, so here's how you do it. This is an example that uh, Chris Voss gave in the book. He just left FBI and uh, he started his first consulting project uh, and he had an honor of training national hostage negotiation team and then he was supposed to be paying like they were, they were supposed to be paid $2,000 a day. And then what, there were some issues that came up and then he could only offer that team $500 a day, which was like a weird, really, really weird way that things, things went around. But that's what, that's what happened. So watch what Chris does. He starts the conversation with an accusation audit. And that means is he says all the bad things that they might say and he would goes all the way to extreme. So first, they can the other party can say it, and at the same time, he anchors their emotions. So this is what he has to say: "I got a lousy proposition for you." And then he pauses. By the time we get off the phone, you're going to think I'm a lousy businessman. You're going to think I can't budget or plan. You're going to think Chris Voss is a big talker. His first big project ever out of the FBI. He screws it up completely. He doesn't know how to run an operation and he might even have lied to me. What an opener, isn't it? That's what he says whenever he has to go from $2,000 a day to $500 a day, deliver the news, bad news. And then once he anchored their emotion and to the super low expectation, 
what he does, he plays on other party loss aversion. Loss aversion, when whenever we don't really want to, we will do way more to not lose what we have compared to how much effort we'll put in to gain what we don't have at the moment. So this is what he has to say. Still, I wanted to bring this opportunity to you before I took it to somebody else. Suddenly, their call wasn't really about bidding, being cut from $2,000 to $500, but how not to lose $500 to some other guy. And every single one of them took the deal. No counteroffers, no complaints. And this is how he anchored their emotion and their perception of $500 was good. Uh, otherwise, what would have happened if he said, if he just called them and said, look, I can, I can only give you $500 a day. What do you think? They would have taken it as an insult and they, they would have slammed the phone. Then the second step, then the second thing that when you are trying to bend somebody else's reality, you want to let the other guy go first most of the time. And the real issue is really neither side has perfect information. When you negotiate them, you don't really know everything. And that means you don't really know enough to open with confidence, to, to throw the number. So by letting somebody else anchor you, you might get lucky and you might have somebody throw in a high number and that might be very close to the number that you thought in mind and uh, it will be easier. So if the other guy is a pro or shark, he's going to go for an extreme anchor in order to bend your reality, right? And you've probably seen that if you sold used items, iPhones, Androids, Kijiji, uh, Craigslist, you, you, put in, you put an item for $100 and somebody would send you a message saying $10. What they really are doing is they're putting an extreme anchor in order to bend your reality because whenever somebody said 10, you feel like, oh, if, if they even pay me 30, that would be, that would be amazing. I would be, I would be forever grateful and you will forget about $100. And then the same thing with like, um, like if you have a $400 iPhone uh, and it seems like $400 iPhone is reasonable if it's been marked down from a crazy $600. It's the same thing that uh, Apple is doing right now with their $1,800 phone. Uh, and suddenly $1,000 phone doesn't seem to be too bad. It, it's really the way that anchoring works. So there's also another part that I would, I would also mention is the tendency to be anchored by extreme numbers is a psychological quirk known as anchor and adjustment. Whether or not you want to be a shark that eats a rookie counterpart, you really want to keep your reputation with you. You want to he you want to have a solid reputation because there will be people who have really bad reputation. Nobody really wants to do a deal with them. They everybody knows they beat a bunch of people up, and nobody wants to do it. Number three, bending other people's reality is with establishing a price range. Establishing a price range is really effective because whenever we are confronted with naming the price or the terms, we, what we can do is the best way is to throw the ballpark. And then instead of saying, look, I'm worth $110,000, you can say at top places like IBM or Apple or XYZ, people in this job get between $130,000 to $170,000. And that really gets your point across without moving the other part into defensive position. And then also anchors the other part because when you start with 130 to 170, it gives 
more flexibility to you. And then if the other party was thinking of paying $100,000 to you, they would probably go all the way to their limit because you just started from 130. So, and you also want to keep in mind, obviously, if that you offer a range, uh, and it always is a good idea, always is a good idea to do, do so, expect the other folks to come in at the low end. And then you can also, in the, with a step number four, or you can just go to non-monetary non-monetary terms, right? You can, you know, people often get caught up with how much, like how much do we have to whatever pay, but. You know, deal numbers are, they don't have to come in isolation because sometimes um, negotiation is really more intricate and subtle dynamic. And Chris obviously understands it so well. So you can just go to non-monetary firms and say, um, after you anchored another part really high, you can make your offer seem reasonable by offering things that are, aren't important to you, but more important to other people. You say, hey, I can connect you with this person. I can make an introduction. I can put you on the cover of a magazine whatever is appropriate in this situation. And whenever you talk numbers, you want to be using the odd numbers, right? Odd numbers are really great because whenever you say, um, the biggest thing to remember is that numbers that end at zero inevitably feel like temporary placeholders. And you can, and then easy, they can be easily negotiated off. Somebody says $100,000, you can say, look, it's going to be 92,500. But Anything you throw out that sounds less rounded, for example, $37,263, that feels like a figure you came to as a result of thoughtful calculation, it's much harder to move, you know? And they do feel permanent, they feel more serious, and that's why other party will respect it. Well, another approach is you can surprise somebody with a gift. And, you know, if you have an unexpected gift, that would basically, what it will do is we'll introduce a dynamic called reciprocity. And reciprocity is when somebody does a favor to you, you will all, almost always want to return the favor because that's just the way it should be. And it's a psychology. And then, you know, then, it's, then the other party might suddenly come up with it, with their offer and then you will try to repay you for their kindness. So gift, good option. And this is, and the last part, the last part I wanted to mention was how to get your counterparts to bid against themselves. This is essentially what it is. It's the best way for your for the other party to lower their demands is to say no using how questions. So this is an indirect way of saying no. Uh, and this is how Chris Voss does it, which is I think is really a genius. Whenever you are not agreeing with whatever somebody else says, this is how you can paraphrase it. And they found Chris's, Chris's research, uh, he found that say no four times is real effective. You can say up to four times no without actually saying the word. The first, the first way you do it is you say, how am, I how am I supposed to do that? That's the question you ask. And then you have to deliver it in a differential way. So it becomes a request for help. And properly delivered, it invites the other person, the other side to participate in your dilemma and solve it with a better offer. And then after that, some version of your offer is very generous. I'm sorry, that just doesn't work for me. That's an elegant way of saying no the second time. And it also, you know, when you say I'm sorry, it softens the statement, no builds empathy, and it just connects you with the other person and you they're not feeling like, like they're wasting their time. Then you can say something like, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm just afraid I can't do that. 
And that's a little bit more direct. And then can do that does create double duty. By expressing an inability to perform, it can trigger the other side's empathy toward you. I'm sorry, no is a slightly more compact version, um, but no is delivered gently, so it barely sounds negative at all. And that's how you do it. And I wanted to leave you guys with this. This is, again, it's all from the book. The art of closing a deal is staying focused to the very end. These are crucial points at the finale when you are must draw on your mental discipline. Don't think about what time the what don't think about what time the last flight leaves or what it will be like to get home early and play golf do not let your mind wander remain focused and chris voss talks about people are losing deals they are compromising on the deal they're splitting the difference most of the time because they are afraid to face the hard stuff they are afraid to they're afraid of fear afraid of looking uh stupid or they're afraid of being unfair and all those things they really affect affect us and then affect how much money we make how, how what are the terms that we have so these are just some key things that i found in the book to be really really cool but then it also has the full the full sheet to prepare for negotiation and all the all the flow all the questions that you can come up with prepare practice and go in and get it done get your set your price set your range have have specific questions you want to ask you will know how to mirror how to label people and that way you um, you get more so i hope you guys enjoyed it this is chris voss negotiating as if your life depends on it and uh, if you did uh, check out the book uh, it will be in my show notes. Uh, and if you want to have, you want to hear more from me and get the latest updates on business books, personal development books, my podcast, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's at sergeyross.live slash newsletter. Yeah, it's every Sunday. Uh, but otherwise, I um, hope you guys enjoyed it. We're out. We're out.